Hey family, this is Javer Fitzbogle and I am the creative director of the Detox Movement Global Ministries and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that it blesses you. We hope that it challenges you and we hope that it encourages you to see that God is moving in your life. So come grow with us and enjoy the message. What's going on everybody? How's everybody doing? With all the smiles, everybody smile. Give me a smile or something. There it is, there it is, yo, man. God is so good. Listen, guys, if it is your first time that you're joining us here at TDM Global, we want to say thank you so much for being here. You are the reason why we do this. We want to take a moment and thank everybody for being a part of what God has been doing in this ministry. It's been growing. Can y'all say that, man, this ministry is a, has been a form of evidence in your life? It has been evidence for me. And I'm telling you, man, I'm so excited just to see what God has been doing, what God will continue to do in this ministry and in the life of this ministry. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If it is your first time, guys, please connect with one of our chat hosts. If you're on YouTube, if you're on Zoom, if you're on Facebook, wherever you're watching right now, we want to say thank you for being here, and we want to get plugged in with you. So, if y'all have been rocking with us, we have dived into this amazing series entitled Evidence. Now, this series has been a blessing. And it has changed my understanding of God and how he moves in our lives. One thing I have come to realize is this. God is always moving even if you can't see him. He's always doing things even if you can't see him. God God is always in control even if you can't see him. And just because you can't see God doesn't mean that God is not doing something supernatural in your life. This series has been about understanding that God is moving whether or not you can recognize it. But to accept that God is always in control even when you are not. Today we're going to dive into our next uh, week in this series entitled Evidence. And I believe that God is going to help us to understand perspectives tonight. And I pray that this message will bless you. So we're going to start off in prayer and then we're going to dive into this because I'm excited and I cannot wait to talk about what God has placed on my heart tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you because we know that you are a good God. Father, you produce in the most unlikely situations. God, you are the water in the desert. Father, you are everything that we need when we need it. Lord, we just thank you, God, because we know that you're never late, but you always function in perfect timing. We pray, God, that this word would be timely, that it would find good ground and good soil in the hearts of those that are listening. Father, let this word touch them and increase their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So y'all listen, if y'all don't know, I'm going to just come out, I'm going to come out the gate swinging because we got some time tonight, so we're going to talk about it. So your boy is from Canada. I'm Canadian. Shout out to all my Canadian people out there. If y'all listening, man, I love y'all. What's up? To everybody else who has a problem with that, listen, I can't help you. But Canadians are dope, man. You know what I'm saying? Look at me. I think I'm pretty cool. Um, Being born and raised in another country has taught me a lot. It's taught me that God has been doing something for a really long time that I was not able to recognize until today. I look back years ago when I was born in the cold. Now, we got some New York people in the house. Y'all know what the cold is like. Look, Canada got that cold, cold. You know that cold, cold where you got to get the cocoa? 
to drink because you know it's, it's it's so cold. You need something to warm you up. We got that type of cold where you put on a snow fit, but it goes right through your outfit. Look, I'm telling you, it was so cold that I didn't you know, I didn't know how God brought me there. But I told you this. It was when I was there, I realized, man, I got to get out of this place because it's so cold, man. Where's that sunny weather? So I had no idea then that God was doing something great in me when I was a boy. That he was preparing me to step out on faith and do something that was unseeable in the foreseeable future. So I look back and this is what God showed me. He says, son, you didn't know them, but I was turning you into a man of God. Son, you didn't know them, but I was showing you that no matter where you go or where you are, I will always be with you. When I moved from the greater Toronto area in, uh, in Canada, shout to the six, all right, we moved from there and we went to Florida. One of the challenges that I had was making friends. I say, oh God, like, how am I going to make friends? How am I going to make friends? All the people I grew up with, all my homies, all my friends were in Toronto like, yo, how am I going to make friends again? And he brought me to Florida, Palm Coast, Florida. Yo, we got some PC people in the house, uh, which is crazy because the people in the house today have become my friends today. But I didn't know then that God was doing something. He brought me to a place and what ended up happening was I sat down on my driveway I'll never forget, 12 Lamar Lane, Palm Coast, Florida. And I stretched out on the long driveway, because you know, Florida driveways, they, they real far, you know, they go, they go all the way down the street. So I, I stretched out on my driveway, and when I looked up into the sky, I said, wow, this is crazy. I can still see the Big Dipper. Now, now to somebody that may seem like that's not a big deal, you should be able to see the Big Dipper, bro, right? But what was crazy to me was I remember when I was in Canada and I looked up to the sky and I remember seeing the Big Dipper. I said, oh, this, this is cool. Four years later, I ended up moving. Moved to California. Shout out to LA, all my old people in the building. Shout out to all my LA folk. And I remember when I got here, I moved to Canyon Country, California. It ain't a country, it's just... It's, it is what it is. It's just what it's called. And I remember I got to my uncle's house where I was living. And the first thing I did when I got there was I laid on the driveway. I looked up to the sky. And I promise you, I saw the Big Dipper. Now, somebody might say, well, bro, you're supposed to see the Big Dipper, right? But, but it didn't hit me. The same Big Dipper I saw in Canada was the same Big Dipper I saw in Florida, it was the same Big Dipper I saw in California. I said, God, why does it feel like I haven't moved an inch, but I traveled all across the country? He says, son, because just like no matter where you go, you can still see, no matter where I am, I see you. He showed me that he doesn't function in proximity, but God is all around me. From a very young age, I began to learn that God was showing me what evidence looked like. He was showing me that if you trace your steps back and you go and look at where you came from, you will always see signs that show that no matter how far you've gone, whether you strayed away from God or whether you've gotten closer seemingly, that you get to a place to where you realize that God has never moved an inch. God was there when you was in the trenches. 
He was there when you was insecure. God was there when he was making you to become something. God was there when you were in your darkest season. No matter where you go, if you look up, you'll be able to see him. It's almost as if he never moved. Last week, we started talking about Moses. Or two weeks now, we dived in and started talking deeper about Moses. And one of the things that we had to pull away and understand was that Moses was becoming even from a baby. Now, a lot of you know the story, so you know how it progresses from where we left off. But last week, we talked about how when you let go of something, you give God the opportunity to bless it in such a way that he may give you the opportunity to pick it back up again. This week, we're going to talk about a teaching or a message entitled Unseen Evidence. Unseen Evidence. A topic that's so close to my heart, it makes me feel some sort of way. Because there has been evidence throughout my whole life to point that I would have been here today, but I couldn't see it. I have, kid you not, two people in this room right now that I grew up with in Florida, but they're here with me in California. And a lot of you who know geography know that Florida ain't down the street. But I'll tell you this, what I didn't know God was doing 15 years ago, he showed me what was happening today. Last week we talked about how you may not know when something's happening until it happens, but this week we're gonna talk about what happens when it's happening, but you don't just know it's happening. We're gonna continue our reading from Exodus chapter two and verse 11. Before I read Exodus chapter two and verse 11, I want to highlight that this is our pilot scripture, not just for this message, but for this series. Hebrews 11 and one says, now faith, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If you don't have this scripture memorized, write it down and memorize it. Because this will help you not only to understand this whole entire series, but it may change the perspective of how you look at faith and how you conceive evidence. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Hebrews 11, excuse me, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. I'm going to read up until verse 22, and this is going to encapsulate our whole teaching tonight, and I want us to really pull together this idea or this message entitled Unseen Evidence. Hebrews, excuse me, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. It says this, Now one day, continuing from where we left off, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Now remember context now, this, this boy, this Egyptian boy now growing up named Moses is now in a specific place. Now he's like, wait a second, now I'm a prince of the land, but something's not right. And we talked about this last week, but I want you guys to stay with us in the progression here. In verse 12, it says, he looked his way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, the two Hebrews were struggling together. And as he said to the man in the wrong, he said, why do you strike your companion? Why are you striking your homie, bro? That's your boy. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us, Moses? 
Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian that I saw you kill yesterday? And then Moses was afraid because he thought, hmm, surely the thing is known, meaning they seen me. Now they figured me out. They saw me kill him. Like, yo, what am I going to do? Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought then to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Somebody say, it is well. Now, verse 16, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. He got seven girls. He's blessed. And they came and drew the water and filled the troughs of water and their father, excuse me, the troughs of water, their father's flock and the shepherds came and then drove away them. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Verse 18, when they came home to their father, Raul, he said, how is it that you came back so early, girls? And they said, to, they said to him, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water out for us, watered the flock. And he said then to his daughters, then where is he at? Where he at though? Why have you left this man? Call him, tell him to come, let us eat bread with us. 21 says, and Moses then was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. Man, he got a girl out of this. This is crazy. Verse 22 says, Then she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Let's talk about this teaching entitled Unseen Evidence. Now it's our Bible study, so what we're going to do, we're going to go verse by verse. Y'all been liking that, at least as far as this Bible, you know, Bible study is concerned, because we want to grow in our faith together. So let's do this. Let's dive in together. Verse 11 says, now, and one day, which was after the fact that we remember he was raised into this Egyptian lifestyle. It says, now, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Now, we're going to sit here for a minute. I want to ask everybody a question. What burdens do you have that propels you to move out on faith? We see that Moses was in a unique position where he was now forced to see something that caused him to feel compassion for the people that he did not grow up with. There are people in this room that I grew up with and because I grew up with them, I got so much compassion for them. And there's people in here that I do have not grown up with, but yet I still have compassion for them. What does that tell us? It tells us that just because you didn't know somebody doesn't mean you can't love that person. Moses realized that even though he was an Egyptian, he recognized the people who he was from. He's talking now about Christians. He said, yo, I recognize you. Because you were Christian. When we weren't growing up together, I, I was raised in a different space. But you know, I, I resonate with you. I feel you. Because you cannot break the bond of who you were raised to be. You might not have been raised with somebody. But if they're blood, they're blood. If they're family, they're family. He was in a position where he began to feel the burden of the people he wasn't even raised with. And that burden began to move and do something on the inside of him. And I think a lot of us have been or are in a place where we feel for somebody, something or someone that we may know or may not know, but because we feel there is always something behind the feeling. 
If you ever feel burdened for a reason, God has a plan with that burden. Look at what's going to happen. I want everyone to write this point down. God will often propel you by placing a burden upon you. Burdens come in different forms. They look in different ways. You say, what do you mean? God isn't doing it. Yes, God does it. God will allow you to do it. Y'all remember the scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, Now, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. Mm, somebody say, God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability or what you are able. But with the temptation, he will always give you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let's define a burden. A burden, by definition, is a load. Somebody write that down. A burden is a load. Typically, it's a heavy load. If we define bear, right, bear means to carry, it means to carry a specific weight. So to burden or a burden and to bear, also to bear or to carry, two things in contrast with each other. We have to look at it together in the context of this scripture. Moses felt the weight of oppression over the people that he was amongst. And he was moved with compassion towards them. And he was moved with anger towards the people that were doing something wrong. Moses felt a sense of burden from something that he felt necessary to carry for a specific reason. Stay with me. It was compassion for the people that moved him. And it was righteous indignation that also raised anger against the people he was with. Now, we do not know what righteous indignation is. We're going to talk about this. Because what a lot of people don't know is that, yes, anger is a sin. But anger is something that isn't totally sinful by itself. But you can have something called righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is the type of anger that God has. It's righteous anger. It's when you do something wrong and it makes you get mad. Yo, what are you doing? You mean you're going to do this? How are you going to sit against your God? Paul was real hard with it like that. Paul, somebody said, Paul saw someone sin. He would go crazy. Like, you're going to do that to your God? You know, some people are like real, you know, they're real Christian. They see something, you doing something like, how can you do that to Jesus, man? Righteous indignation will always make you feel offense to sin. And what we're about to explore right now is this reason why a lot of us struggle with sin in our lives. We see here that Moses was in a position where he was burdened with what he saw, which was the oppression of his brethren. If I see my boy Chad struggling, and it don't make me feel any type of way, you can always question my love for him. If I see my sister Javante and she's hurting over there, and that don't make me feel no kind of way, you can always question, what, what really is going on? Do you really care about me? Because when you care about someone, you'll always feel a sense of weight for them. Righteous indignation is the separation between hating something that's good and hating something that's bad. God hates sin. How can you hate something? No, that ain't, that ain't the Bible. It, it, it's Bible. God hates a lot of things. And he's angry at a lot of things, but, but his anger never provokes him to wrath. What I want to tell each and every single person listening today, some things you can get angry for and some things you cannot. And before we move forward, we got to separate this understanding. Number one, 
If you get angry at something, what are you getting angry at? That's the question. Because if you're getting angry at something that is unrighteous, then there's always righteous indignation attached to it. But if you're getting angry at something, and the thing that you're getting angry at leads you to sin, then it's not righteous anger. A lot of us land ourselves in a position where we get angry and we do things that cause us to sin and God is not pleased. My boy Moses here was about to do something he shouldn't have did. He was about to take someone's life because he saw someone else getting beat up. He didn't like that. He didn't like what he was doing with you, Crystal. He didn't like what was going on with you, Ted. He didn't like that. So because he didn't like what was going on, he said, I'm going to take someone else's life. And this is where a lot of us get trapped in this rat race. We say, you know what? I don't like what you did to my boy, so I'm going to pull out the gat and do it myself. Oh, oh you think you're going to cross me? Oh, you think you're going to cross my girl like that? Okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to handle that. And this, self, this type of pride begins to climb up on the inside of us. And it forces us to do things that forfeit the blessing that God is building in us. I have learned that every form of anger will be tested. And the test always comes in a form of evidence. I did not know then, but the moment this man was triggered, he was tested. Every single time you are triggered, you'll be tested. And it does not mean that you should always play nice and roll over. But sometimes it means you got to know what you're getting angry for. For years, I struggled with pride. I mean, years, just struggle with pride, struggle with lust. I struggled with so many different things. And my inability to get past them wasn't based on the struggle. It was based on a misplacement of anger. I got angry at myself. I got angry at the people around me. You was treating my family wrong, so I got angry too. But never did I want to get angry with my sin. If Moses were to understand how to place his anger, he would have found something that would have changed his life. Righteous indignation. It says here that the burden is that he saw the people getting beat up and this was just real hard for him. And it was one of his own. In verse 12, he says, he looked this way. And at that point, seeing no one around, he then struck the man down and hid him in the sand. How many of us find ourselves in this exact position? Well, we look around and we start plotting. Well, I wonder if I could premeditate and kill this dude real quick. Oh, maybe, maybe nobody's seen me, so I could probably cheat on this test real quick. Uh, you know what? They ain't going to find me on the taxes, so as long as they're not looking for me, I can switch up this number. I can claim this kid that lives in my house, but it's really not my dependent. I'm thinking that maybe I can tell this dude that the baby's not, the baby's his, but it's really not. I don't know. How many times do we find ourselves in a position where we look around to avoid certain things? When God wants us to handle it in a moment, every single time you are triggered, you are tested. Tests always come on the tail end of triggers. He found himself in a place where he looked around. In other words, he was looking for Egyptians. 
He was looking to see if an Egyptian was going to see him, but he stuck down, he, me, he struck down an Egyptian and then hit him in the sand. Verse 13 says, now when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were there who were struggling with one another, meaning they were fighting. He didn't like that. And he said to the man in the wrong, the person who was really wrong for starting the fight, he said, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why do you strike your brother, your companion, your neighbor? Yo, why are you two fighting over there? What's wrong with you? And they responded, who made you a prince and a judge over us? It's so interesting in verse 12 and verse 13. As I'm reading the text, I'm realizing that he was looking for Egyptians, but he was not looking for his own people. And it was his own people who ratted him out. Which makes me think, no matter what you do or how you do it, everything always comes up to the light. Everything comes to the surface. If it doesn't come today, it will come tomorrow. In Moses' case, it literally came the next day. And he looked at him and said, now, first off, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Now, this is where we're going to start the understanding of this message. Because we have to understand that no matter what we go through or how we go through it, God still sees you as beautiful. He sees you as anointed. He sees you as perfect. He sees you as righteous. God sees you as the man of God that he's made you to be, the woman of God that he's made you to be. He still sees that king and that priest on the inside of you. My boy Moses just sinned. He took an eye for an eye, literally. He literally went and sinned because of an uncontrollable passion. And he found himself in a position with God. Watch this text here, not with man. Because I'm learning now in the text that even if I do something wrong, it doesn't change who I am in Christ. So people are still going to see me a certain type of way, but they're also going to see my sin. This guy here is talking to me and saying, Yo, first off, who is you that you think you was a prince and a judge? And when I read it, God made me read it again and it actually sounded like this. Well, who are you? A prince? A judge? Who, who made you prince and judge? Well, what is the context? The context is not, yo, who is you? But the context is, who are you? Moses was a prince. And he was a judge in the making. But somehow, the people who saw him could only see who God was making them to be. I come here today to tell you, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you are going, it does not change the purpose that God put on the inside of you. Why? Write this down. Because purpose is permanent. Moses was a prince because he was. And he was a judge because he was. And the question was, who made him a prince and a judge over the people of Israel, not the Egyptians? So they didn't receive him. But what they didn't know was God had already received him even in the middle of his mistakes. I want every single person listening today to remember this point. God has already accepted you in spite of your mistakes. You have been accepted. God sees you. He still wants you. No matter what you did yesterday, he still wants you. No matter what you did last night, he still wants you. No matter what you may do, he still wants you. It doesn't change your purpose because your purpose is permanent. The problem is 
Most of us can't see our purpose because it's unseen in the moment. You see, what's unseen in the moment may seem like it doesn't exist. But if purpose is permanent, it doesn't matter if you cannot see it. It is still there. Who made you a prince, Moses? God did. Who made you a judge, Moses? God did. Who sent you to infiltrate this land so that God can use you to do something special? God did. When God made you, he made you with a plan and a purpose in mind. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use you for my glory. You're going to make mistakes. But what I need for you to do is I always need you to bounce back. I have found the only people that never get to the promise that God has for them are the ones who give up becoming. Not the people who make mistakes, but the ones who give up becoming. My question for you today is, are you giving up becoming? Have you given up becoming the person God made you to be, Terry? Are you giving up to become the man of God he's making you to be, Eric? Is he doing something in you that you're not willing to follow through because you messed up and you killed somebody and now they're looking for you? But somehow God covered you. Somehow God still kept your identity intact. Somehow God was like, don't worry, I still see you. I have a plan for you. Are you giving up becoming? Because who you're becoming is directly related to what you went through. It's almost like Moses has a reason to become because he's been going through some things. But, but what happens to the people who, who have no reason? It's like, why should you become? And so I've come to realize that adversity is the most fruitful ground for purpose to exist. Because if there is adversity, purpose has purpose. But what happens if your purpose has no purpose, then what's the point, bro? So, so Moses, is he's, he's learning something. He's saying, wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me that I was in a basket and my mama put me down a lake? And I landed inside the palace and now I'm a prince and now I'm royalty, but something don't sit right. And because it doesn't sit right with me, I, I feel this draw or this connection, this burden for my people. And now I'm out here. It almost seems like, like I killed this person, but it's almost like, geez, it triggered something. Now I'm on this cascade. It's about to happen. And I just don't know what's going on, but somebody listen to what I'm telling you today. Some triggers are meant to trigger you into your purpose. Some triggers are meant to trigger you into your purpose. Uh -uh. Let me rephrase that. All triggers are meant to trigger you into your purpose. It doesn't matter if it's a good trigger or a bad trigger. It's meant to trigger something on the inside of you so that you would either become or turn to become. Become the man of God or the woman of God he's called you to be or turn and become the man or woman of God you become to me. Every trigger is meant to trigger your purpose. The question is, can you see it? Verse 14 says, and he answered, who made you a prince, my boy? Who made you? Who is you? Do you mean to kill me as you killed that Egyptian that Moses was afraid? And this is where a lot of us find ourselves in a place of fear. Because we don't really know what we should do because we did something wrong and we run. But, 
But this is where a lot of us need to do the opposite of running. We need to be still. And we need to face things and confront things. Even the smallest of things. Like I was, I was late for like a couple of appointments this week. And I, I really don't like being late. And sometimes I don't put myself in the position to always be on time. And I was confronted with the opportunity to lie. This is what happened. And I was like, oh, I can get out of this real quick. You know what I'm saying? Let me throw a little lie in the atmosphere real quick and save myself. Um, and I felt the conviction of Christ hit me. And what a lot of people don't realize is conviction is a burden. It's something that you're supposed to carry. And we're supposed to carry it so that it could cause us to turn. Oh, that was good. That was a good little turn. I like that. It's just, just oh, you know, just it caused you to turn from a possible wrong decision and put yourself in alignment with where God wants you to be. And I said, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't want to lie, but I feel like I'm about to do this, man. I need you to come through for your boy. Tell you what, let's make you a deal. I'd be rationalizing with God just like that. Like, let's make you a deal, God, right? If you work this out, uh... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get this right next time. Now, you know, we always do that, like, yo, God help me, and then we end up doing it again, right? But I was so, my heart was right. I'm like, yo, God, just, if we work this out. So I said, Lord, you handle it. I kid you not, I was about 30 minutes late. I ended up driving the wrong way. Okay, this is his life, and things happen. I ended up being an hour late. Now, this is after I was getting ready to lie now, an hour late. And, and, and what ended up happening was because I was an hour late, it forced me to pick up the phone to call and to present my situation. And I did not know, because I won't tell you, I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> I was going to lie. I'm telling you right now, I was going to lie. I was so close. I was like, God, I'm going to tell him to lie. I was, I was you know, in the trenches, got a car accident or something. I was going to pull something out of the strings. And <laughs> God told me, convicted me. And he said, now, if you lie, you're going to mess it up. So instead, let me put you in a position to be honest. I had to pick up the phone. I had to tell him, like, yo, listen, I, I legit went the wrong way. I'm, I'm late. It was one situation where I was forced to tell the truth. But, but because it triggered a response, it actually helped me to step into alignment with where God happened to be. And, and somehow, the dude had more compassion than I thought he would. But I was even more late than I was the first time I was getting ready to lie. And I realized that because I was able to be honest and allow those triggers to trigger me into the direction where God wanted me to be, I was able not only to experience the fullness that God had in that moment, but also his grace. When you allow the triggers of God to trigger you into alignment with him, you will always find out that God's grace is real. He just covers you like, you, like somehow you just made it through and you was good. Wait, wait, you mean to tell me that they only going to do this much? You mean to tell me they're not going to kick me out? You mean to tell me y'all going to let me stay? Sometimes when we take the wrong decision, we can push ourselves in a wrong place. Moses decided to run. But I want everyone here to understand this before we keep moving forward. That when you are in the will of God, and your heart, we talked about this like last series, right? It's set on the things of God. What God will do is he'll order your steps. He'll, he'll bring you full circle. He'll allow you to go this way 
to set you up for something that was supposed to happen. Let's watch what goes down here. It says, now, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses said in verse 14, uh, 14 he says, surely this is known. When Pharaoh found out about it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Midian means talking about the lineage of Abraham and, and downward refers to that line of people. And so, and he sat down by a well, mm. which is interesting because sometimes placement always matters. Sometimes when you're going through a hard season, you know, life gets hard, you, you're messed up, you're, you're running. Sometimes the best place you can plant yourself is to a well because you don't have to go nowhere because everything you need is it's here. Sometimes running doesn't get you anywhere, but being still does. Like, why a well? A well doesn't move. We're going to come back. It says, verse 16, And the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water from the well and filled the trust with water and their flocks. 17 says, And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. Underline that. Moses stood up and saved them, and he watered the flock. What's interesting was this wasn't the first time Moses did this. It, it seems like when he was in Egypt, he also stood up, saved them, and he also watered the flock. We would say, explain this to Bear. Let's talk about this for a second, right? What do shepherds do? Shepherds protect and they tend, right? They protect the, the flock and they tend to the flock. Write that down. Shepherds, they protect the flock and they tend to the flock. They protect the sheep from any type of danger and they tend to everything that the flock needs. Psalms 23 and 4. Y'all know this, but we're going to read it together. Psalms 23 verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd always carries a rod and a staff. They carry a rod and a staff. One, the rod is used to correct. The staff is used to tend. So one tends and one corrects. Y'all think it's just for walking up the mountains, huh? It ain't just for walking, it ain't just a walking stick. They're there to smack the sheep when they're acting up, but they're also there to keep them in alignment and give them what they need. Which is interesting because the rod of God does the same thing. When you mess up, it corrects you, but it also gives you everything that you need. So we find out that Moses was in a place of correction, but he was also in a place of resource. He left the place where he thought he was safe, which was Egypt. That's correction. But then now he finds himself in a place of resource. That's the well. So, so he helped people inside of Egypt. And now he's helping people outside of Egypt. It would almost seem that even though you run away from your situation, it still doesn't change who you are. No matter what you go through, you cannot change who you are. Because how God built you 
was how he's going to wait until you become and see. He said, I ain't going to do nothing else. I'm just going to wait for you to become who I called you to become. No matter what you do, I'm just going to wait for you to become the man I called you to become, the woman that I called you to become, the one I made you to be. Yeah, yeah. You can go through all of that, but what's going to happen is you're still going to find yourself in a place where God is waiting on you. Running is never the solution. Sometimes it's just being still. It says here, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Raul, they said, now, how is it that you've come home so soon, my girls? And they said in verse 19, an Egyptian delivered us. Yo, this is crazy. Out of the hands of the shepherd and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He delivered, he drew, and he watered. Moses was out of Egypt. But it did not change how the people saw him. Meaning they still saw him as an Egyptian. Sometimes it's not about leaving a place. Ooh. But sometimes it's about leaving position. You see, I, I left Florida and I came to Cali. I, I left the place, but I was in the same position. Wait, wait, hold on a second. You mean I left Canada, I left the place, and I moved to Florida, so I, I left position, but I was still the same person. God hasn't changed. He doesn't function in proximity, but he's always the same. Moses left the place, but he was still an Egyptian. There was something that Moses had to understand in becoming. He had to learn that it wasn't about leaving Egypt. It was about leaving the idea of an Egyptian. Some of us are so stuck in the nature of who we are that God can't even take us to become a different person because we're so fixed on leaving places. Well, maybe if I just get out of Tulsa, I'm going to be good. I just need to get out the house and I'm going to be good. You know what? This family here, this ain't working for me. I'm just going to leave and I'm going to be good. And you leave your position, but you still have the same condition. The idea is not leaving places, but the idea is leaving your placement. Where is your mind placed? Who are you inside of you? Who is God trying to take you out of? What portion of you that makes you feel stagnant? You're not moving nowhere. You're not going no places. What is it? What is it about you that God is trying to change? But you won't let him change because you think that you change your environment, but the environment is not what changes you. You change the environment. So the Bible says that we're supposed to be the salt. Salt changes environment. God wants us to change things. He doesn't want things to change us. And so it says to be not transformed by this world. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What God wants to do is never around us. It's in us first. When God can fix you first, he can fix everything around you. Everything around you. Stop worrying about your neighbors, bro. Stop worrying about your sister. Stop worrying about your parents that just don't get you. Don't worry about that. Stop worrying about what you're dealing with at work. Start saying, God, what are you dealing with in me? A sign that God sent you 
is when you are the same person on the inside that you are on the outside. Moses fought for his people on the inside of Egypt, but he also fought for them on the outside, which leads me to understand that God wants to use you in season and out. He wants to use you in high water and hell. He wants to use you in the good situations and the bad. He wants to use you when you mess up and when you don't. God wants to use you no matter the position. But all he wants to do is change your condition. The Egyptians delivered us out and he drew water out for us and watered the flock. He drew out water and watered the flock. I'm going to close in a few minutes how much time we have. I know we're over time, but I want to say these next points here. If you're taking notes, I want you guys to write this down. Two things. Number one, to draw and to water. To draw and to water. To draw means to labor. To draw means to labor. But to water means to give. To draw means to labor, but to water means to give. Moses labored to give. Write this down. A sign that God has called you to do a thing is if without asking you, you labor and give. Some of you can think about this. There's some things you just do. You just give to people all the time. You just do this. You just do that. You do whatever it is that you feel led to do all the time, specifically because it's who you are. See, see you can't change that about you. Why is it that everywhere I go, I just want to hug on somebody? Why is it everywhere I go, I just got to pray for people? It's because it's who you are. A sign that God has called you to do a thing is when you do something, you labor and you give without asking. Let's switch the verbiage. And I'm almost done here. Faith is to labor. Faith is to labor as substance is to give. Write that down. Faith is to labor as substance is to give. Let's talk about it. James chapter 2 and verse 17. James 2 and 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it is done, excuse me, if it does not have works, is dead. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. When we say faith is to labor, labor is work. So, so, so if also faith by itself does not have works, it is dead, and faith is to labor, then laboring gives you access to things that your faith is required, is attached to. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we just said substance is to give. What is giving? Giving is hoped for, meaning to receive. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance of things you're looking to receive. So faith is to labor and substance is to give. To each and every single person listening tonight, I think it's important for us to understand that God has made us in such a way that we're designed to be who he called us to be naturally. You ain't got to try. You don't got to Google how to do this, how to do that. Well, what is it that you're naturally hoping for? 
well, what, what, what do you believe in God for? Where's your faith? Because the nature of who Moses was in this text was someone that wouldn't change no matter what he went through. You see, even if Moses couldn't see it about himself, God saw it. God saw that he took him from one place to the next, but nothing changed about him. God saw that he went from the next place to the next, but nothing changed about him. So what was God trying to change? God was not trying to change his position, but God was trying to change his condition. There is a lot of us today that are drawn to this idea of change, but we're not willing to accept the idea that change starts with us. It doesn't start with the things around us. Every bit of change that happens on earth happens because one person said yes to it internally and God said okay with it externally. In 20 it says, and his daughters and why have you left him? They brought him into the house and Moses was content to dwell with the man and gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. Verse 22 says, and gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Other version says, I have been a foreigner in another land. It does not matter where you are. What matters is who you are. And at the end of the day, I need every person listening right now to pick that up and take it with you into your life, into your future, wherever you're going. It does not matter where you are, but it matters who you are. Last week, we talked about infiltrating, being sent into a land. But what happens when you were sent in it, but you are not of it? The idea that Moses had to leave was not based on the fact that Egypt wasn't good. It was based on the fact that he's not Egypt. And some of you got to let go of this nature that's not you so you can become who God has called you to be. Who is God making you to be? Who has God designed you to be? Because that person is exactly where God is going. I want to pray for you guys tonight that this, this word would speak to you and give you perspective that it would show that no matter what is going on in your life, that God's still doing something with you, whether or not you can see it. It, it. it might be unseen, but God sees it and it's happening. That faith without works is dead. But now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There is faith and there is value on the inside of you that may not be seen, but it does not mean it's not present. And if that's you tonight and you feel like, you know what, I feel like I've been undervaluing myself. I just can't see who God made me to be. I don't really understand this, but I feel like I'm not allowing myself to move according to where God wants to take me because I'm hard on moving places where I want to take me. I want to pray for you that God would strengthen you, that he would order your steps, that he would be a lamp onto your feet and a light onto your path. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, God, for every person that's listening right now and to those who will listen into the future. 
God, I pray, God, that you would bring clarity to their eyes. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to understand that you have been moving and you will continue to move in them in spite of their adversity, in spite of what they're going through, in spite of the temptation. For your word says that there is no temptation that is common to man, but in all things that you have given us a way of escape. Father, I pray, God, that you would use this message as a point of escape for those listening, that they may pass it on to someone else who may listen so that this word could encourage them to become the man or woman of God that you have called them to be. I pray, Lord, that you would realign them with their purpose, that you would realign them with your plan for them and ultimately help them, encourage them and uplift them to be who you've created them to be. In Jesus' name. And if there is anybody in here who has not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we say this every single week, I want to use this as a moment to pray for you as well. That God would not only save you, but he would restore you. He would transform you. That he would give you a new heart and a new mind to see things differently. I want to pray for you right now. If that's you and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Father, I realize today that I am a sinner and that I don't know that if I would die today that I would make it into heaven. But Lord, I just want to stand in faith right now, in seeable faith right now, that you would help me, that you would strengthen me, and that you would restore me. Father, come into my life as my Lord and my Savior, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey family, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that it was a blessing to you. If you have any questions, comments, testimonies, or prayer requests, we would love to hear from you. Send us a message to the Detox Movement on all social platforms. And be sure to get your official Detox brand merch at thedetoxbrand.com. And above all things, family, remember that you are loved, you are blessed, you are beautiful, and most importantly, you are detoxified by God's amazing grace. And until next week, family, God bless you.